Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to Bold Leaders in Learning. I'm Brandon Busteed, president of University Partners at Kaplan, and I'm excited to have a conversation with somebody who's become uh, quite a good friend over the last year, Kevin Ross, the president of Lynn University. And uh, we're going to cover everything today from uh, returning to campus in the middle of a pandemic to test optional uh, and everything else. But in particular, we're going to talk about a lot of the innovations that have taken place at Lynn over the last several years, which I know uh, are going to be informative to a lot of folks out there in higher ed right now who are starting to really push their own thinking about where higher education can go. I think Kevin's a terrific role model in this front. And so first of all, Kevin, thanks for joining me today. We'd love to have you just tell us all a little bit about your own personal background and about Lynn University, and then we'll dive into it from there. Thanks, Brandon. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity and friendship. Um, this has been really great, even though we've been distant over the last couple of months to connect at least electronically with you and with uh, so many colleagues. So um, I grew up here. I grew up on this campus. Uh, my father was president of Lynn for 35 years. And that's a, a very interesting opportunity as a young man. Um, I think I shared with Brandon at one point that uh, I thought everybody when I was a kid grew up on a college campus. And I, had to be, uh, I taught that when I brought my friends here for play dates and things. It was an amazing playground uh, to run around on between in the 1970s. I learned an awful lot uh, in the dorms and in classrooms and things like that. But what I really remember more than anything else was the amazing sense of um, uh, camaraderie and here at Lynn, really family. So the sense of community was really remarkable. Um, and I remember my dad, uh, you know, would always bring work home and uh, I would know kind of what was going on just from the rhythm of, a, of an academic year, but also uh, the highs and lows, you could kind of feel them from him. He was a really sort of a founder president, he kind of refounded Lynn from Marymount College in the early 60s. And, uh, they were going through some financial trouble and he came and said, you know what, I think we can make this place viable. Um, so there were, uh, we lived in the dorms for a long time. Uh, my mom used to cook for everybody and it was a, it was a Catholic school at the time. So um, I also thought that everybody had nuns as babysitters. Um, <laughs> apparently they did not. Um, so, you know, it was this, everyone worked at it together uh, in, in a very collegial way. So, you know, as, as I grew up, um, I think when you get educators, kids get bit by that bug, you know, we get used to that rhythm, like many folks in higher ed do. And um, so I kind of bucked a little bit and decided I want to go do my own thing. And I thought I wanted to be an attorney um, and uh, went that direction for a little while, uh, being a clerk uh, at a few law offices at a, a summer or two and realized uh, I missed the pull of, of, a, of a campus. So uh, it was a really, I feel so privileged and, and fortunate to be able to, to be in higher ed. Uh, but also to be here, uh, you know, where I grew up. So I've been here for coming up on 21 years now. Um, this is my 15th year as president. And it um, still has that same quality, that, that family quality, the, the collaboration. You know, we've been through a lot together here at Lynn, some uh, peaks and valleys. And now that we're in this time, um, uh, once again, this community has come together, just really remarkable people to come up with solutions for students and families so that we can meet them where they are right now. Yeah, and you know, speaking of meeting them where they are right now, obviously that's uh, that's one of the more difficult uh, places that we've ever tried to go in meeting students where they are, because of course some are online and have chosen uh, to do it that way. Some are on campus. I know you guys were uh, were really quick to respond with an innovative uh, block schedule, so you you kind of re re you know formatted the academic calendar. I know you provided some differentiated options for online provided tuition discounts for that. Just give us a little idea of what Lynn has done in responding to students where they are now in the middle of this pandemic. 
so as this was coming down the pike and people were starting to realize what this meant and we all sent our uh, students home, uh, we started uh, another same group, just another different conversation on what would this look like? Let's scenario cast a little bit. Um, we've been tinkering with the block schedule for some time and we have a very distinct core curriculum called the dialogues. Uh, and so when we looked at those two together, we said, maybe this is the time. And as we talked to our faculty and staff, <laughs> pardon me, they became more excited about those possibilities. The truth is the block schedule we're using is the same block schedule we use in the summertime. So it's not something that was completely untested. Um, so right now we're running uh, what I, I commonly call the four by four um, and it's uh, A through D. And today is the last, the last day of the first week. So students are a quarter of the way through the semester. They take one to two classes and they focus on that for about two and a half hours a day. And it is a great way to learn accounting and those type of uh, classes that are very intensive. Uh, we can still manage everything we did from a collaboration standpoint, but to be flexible with our immunocompromised students or international students whose embassies just aren't open yet. Also, uh, families who just aren't comfortable being here just yet. Um, they can come in block B and they can come in block C. If you come in block B, you can still get a full uh, credit load in. And so what we're actually finding, I just heard this this morning from our admissions office, is that some students who are not having a great experience at other institutions are calling us up and saying, hey, can I come to your block B because I know I could still get a full semester in. So it's, um, I walked through uh, classes the other day and the rhythm is very different than what we're used to. Um, and we talked to our friends at Colorado College and other places, there's a handful of schools that do the block schedule. I think Colorado College is the most famous for it. Um, but the rhythms change. So I got concerned, I'm walking around campus and it feels very empty, but it's because of the blocks. And uh, we have a number of students who are taking classes online about 25% of our student body right now, and that starts to dissipate over as the blocks move on. But we walked by and we saw our full-time faculty there with 15 students in a classroom and 18 to 20 you know, online, seamlessly working with them all together. Uh, wow. So after week one, besides Canvas and Zoom having a little bit of a national crash, they got over that pretty quickly, things seem to be going all right. Yeah, that's amazing. And I know the, the other thing you guys did, I mean, I, you know, it's been amazing to watch uh, the variety of, of different initiatives campuses have done to take you know, the necessary safety protocols and testing protocols. And there really hasn't been a, you know, a, a typical type of a plan, but I know you guys formed a, a, a pretty quick partnership with CBS uh, for testing. Just tell us a little bit about how you guys are managing the testing on campus. Testing seemed like it was the only way that we were gonna know exactly the status of every student. Can you imagine, and I know this is happening unfortunately a lot of campuses, to tell a student you're gonna to have to go quarantine in a dorm room or a hotel for two weeks, it's hard to do. Um, it affects the student experience, um, but that's sadly what was looking like was going to happen here as well. So we were seeking out many testing partners, talking to local healthcare folks, and um, I'll, I'll, I'll lay this squarely at the responsibility and accolades at Chris Bonaforti, our Chief Strategy and Innovation Officer. And um, as he was pinging around and finding some resources, he found the Return Ready campus solution that was just rolling out a couple of weeks ago. Uh, through CBS, and I watched him within 20 minutes go from the main website to emailing back and forth with the chief medical officer of CBS. It was impressive. And <laughs> about 12 days later, uh, we had a relationship with them, and I know they're rolling it out on other campuses too. Um, so we're testing every day uh, a rapid test, and we um, have students uh, roll into that as well as faculty and staff on a regular basis. So be able to know exactly in 15 to 20 minutes. I've done the test myself. It's not one of those ones that hurts your brain. It's just a bit of a swab and you do it yourself. Um, so that's working out for us quite well uh, right now. And that, that ensures us the ability to continue to be able to quarantine or isolate in cases and you just know immediately. 
Yeah. No, it, it sounds like it's uh, it's it's exactly the kind of solution that, um, you know, A, it's working well, but B, it's the kind of thing that makes everybody a little bit more comfortable, right? Like no one obviously wants to go through regular testing, but, uh, you know, the, the, the folks I've spoken to about that, they're actually just appreciative that they have that in place and that that's part of how the community is looking out for one another. So, um, so anyway, you know, one of the other things that's come up that I was going to ask you about, because I know you guys have been test optional for a while now, there's a huge set of articles and I'd say a little bit of a debate around, you know, test optional. Now, this was something that was, you know, a decision universities were making, obviously, well before the pandemic. Uh, the pandemic has forced a lot of folks to, to do that as, as what has been pitched as a temporary thing, right? We're going to be test optional for this year. Um, but, you know, I kind of feel like this is going to be a turning point where more and more institutions are just going to go in that direction and never come back. So tell us a little bit about what you guys have learned from uh, test optional over the last several years. Well, um, we hosted a presidential debate in 2012 and it was a huge ramp up and it was a crazy moment and it was amazing for us. And I took the next day off and I was walking on the beach and um, I think I had been thinking about test optional and this was back in 2012 and called our uh, vice president for enrollment affairs, Gareth Fowles, and said, Gareth, I know you've been thinking about this. Is it time? And he said, yes, it is. So we went test optional a while ago. Um, I will tell you, uh, we have, I think, in some ways, a higher quality of students right now. Uh, and students, we're looking at them in a much more holistic way. And it's harder, much harder than, you know, a great sort. Uh, but now, actually, this coming year, we're rolling out our own instrument, which is not really a test as much as it is something that's been built for us uh, in conjunction with our psychology department to understand students' resilience and efficacy and things like that. Those are the things we know that we can work with with students. Um, and, you know, of course, we want to see grades and background and recommendations are critically important because there's great inflation everywhere. And so it's apples to oranges. Um, but we've lived here for a long time now and, and admired schools like Wake Forest and so many other schools have done this for a, a even longer time. So it, it's, it seems like it can work. It's, I would imagine it's harder for schools that are very large uh, because it's a, the, the great sorting mechanism is kind of the only way you, right. can, you can get your class. Yeah, yeah. No, it's interesting. I mean, I think uh, in general, you know, most of the university leaders that I've talked to about it will, will, will you know, uh, provide a similar story, right? That they think they've been able to recruit a more diverse class, right? A, uh, a richer class in terms of the various backgrounds that students are bringing. And, uh, and although it may make it a little more difficult in terms of looking at other factors for sorting students, like your example of this new assessment that you've created, you know, that, th those are some of the innovations that are happening now where, you know, you get another tool to understand the student, maybe not necessarily to sort who's going to get in or not, but to understand students. So that when they do arrive, right, you're kind of, uh, in a way, meeting them where they are, but in a different sense. So really excited to hear about that. Um, and I know, you know, one of the innovations that Lynn rolled out kind of related to this is, you know, how a student uh, gets an opportunity to, to tour or visit campus. And, you know, you know, we're, we're obviously uh, not doing too many of these on-campus tours right now in the midst of, of uh, what's happening in a public health context. But tell us about what you guys did. I, I guess, I don't know, it's been in place for a couple of years now, but it's a really innovative way for students to experience Lynn. And in some ways, it goes back to that, it feels like a family comment that you made. I mean, you guys almost make your, your you know, visit for a prospective student to campus something that's very intimate. Uh, so we'd just love to hear a little bit more about it. It's a commitment. And, um, you know, we admired schools like Hendricks who've been doing this for an awfully long time. You know, it's a couple hours 
of, a, of commitment to be here. You're going to meet faculty members. Um, back when we could, you, every single student, prospective student, would dine with a faculty member. Uh, we used experienced architects to help us because we were doing the same thing everybody else was before. There's the library. There's the gym. This is what this looks like. But we really want to personalize it. If you're from McLean, Virginia, and uh, you're interested in studying biology, we're going to find someone who uh, is as close to you as we can. And, and say, what else do you want to do here today while you're here? Let's get all this done. So yeah. uh, then we like to say all styles welcome because we love the diversity and variety of students who come here. So uh, we have campus stylists actually, uh, who are our student affairs uh, or folks in admissions. And you know they uh, do a lot of homework on the front end to find out who you are, uh, like through Skype and Zoom and things like this. And then when you get here, it's go time. And then we can really dig in and spend the time because um, you know, we're not the kind of place that is like having them come in in giant groups. These are individual tours. Um, and we've seen the numbers go through the roof from the tours, uh, which helps uh, significantly. But now we're pivoting a little bit. Uh, we are opening our office to tours starting next week. Um, we have a screening tool. Uh, you know, we're probably not going to be doing the, the meals of, of faculty at this time. Hopefully we can get back to that. Um, but I just, again, spoke with our uh, VP for enrollment this morning about some very creative ways they want to get back out there. And he even mentioned to me that, you know, perhaps fairs and those large gatherings, uh, and it's tough to get into schools now, uh, we've got to get creative and come up with some other ways. So I'm not going to tell you what we're going to do because I don't want everyone to steal that idea. Um, but he, they're, um, they're anxious to get back out and to connect with those families. Yeah, but it's really a remarkable thing, you know, to think about, uh, you know, a, a university that consulted with experience consultants, right? And, and what many people would use as a bad word in, in higher ed, customer experience consultants, right? But, you know, understanding, you know, how to really drive a connection to a campus uh, for prospective students is a really important part. By the way, it also has a lot of relevance to how you, how you kind of sustain a connection with a student who's enrolled in the campus, right? And so, you know, the idea that they can connect with a faculty member over a meal while they visit and connect with an upper class student who's, you know, from the area or the general vicinity from, uh, from where this student is. I mean, those are things that are really, to your point, a big investment of time and energy, but the yield on the other end is astronomical. And I, I forget the stat that you told me about. Maybe it's not publicly available data, but I, but I know a, a vast majority of the students who go on a prospective student tour at Lynn end up matriculating there. So when you have that kind of yield, it's, it's I mean, and you guys I know have probably done the math on it, it's worth the time and energy because you're just, you know, largely getting almost every one of those students to say, yeah, this is a place I want to be. It's pushing 70%. Wow. So we know that that campus experience is so critical. And, and you know, uh, we, we say the word innovation a lot and we describe Lynn that way. But the truth is, you know, uh, the early adopters, we're probably more of an early adopter than an innovator. And any school can do these things. Um, and that's when you really start to see um, the special nature of your institution, we believe. And so we're able to take some of those um, distinctly Lynn components and put them on display as opposed to having more of a you know, cog in the wheel kind of machine. You're going to come through here. It's going to be a very similar experience um, than as you're going to have somewhere else. And we want it to be different because we want to show the difference. And every institution has an opportunity to do that. Um, it's just a scale uh, matter, I think. Yeah. And so tell us about some of the other innovations. I know you guys have won a lot of awards for your curriculum redesign, the dialogues, and, uh, and its integration, too, with technology, with your iPad initiative and certain things like that. So it would just be helpful to understand a little bit about uh, what you guys have learned through all of that work as well. 
So there's a lot of us here who had been exposed to really great core curricular programs. Um, and about 12 years ago, we decided to make ours even more distinct than it was. And I mentioned that we, uh, you know, we're founded as a Catholic school. We're no longer a religious institution, but you know, the social justice component uh, it was critically important to us. The classics have always been important to us from back in those days too. So the dialogues really is um, a series of uh, thematic uh, courses that all students take, and there is a common dialogue on campus, and it's pretty great to watch it in its full bloom. So uh, dialogues of justice and civic life, self and society, belief and reason quantitative reasoning and scientific literacy. Uh, and it's a bit of a march. I mean, these are classes that you're required to take. Uh, they are based in um, you know, the classics, but also in common day readings and what's going on in the world right now. So when you have moments like we've had this summer uh, with uh, incredible racial strife and some of the most horrific things you've ever seen going on in the world, you know, I was uh, really, we were at a loss because that is the moment that our students would go into those dialogues classes and have those conversations. So we started to facilitate some of those, at least electronically. Uh, but it really is uh, a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of presenting. And if you're not good at those things, you will be by the time you leave because it's going to be repetitive. So that component has been around for about 12 years. And, you know, if, if you stay at things for a long enough time, you get to revamp them, which we're doing right now. And I'm excited about a lot more project-based learning, uh, professional credentialing opportunities, which we've talked about for a long time. That's all going to be embedded in, not an add-on, but embedded into your lead experience before you declare your major and as it connects up to your major. And the, the strange thing um, with you know, the liberal arts and technology, there are some folks who don't think they can fit hand in glove. We believe they can. So about seven years ago, um, uh, we partnered with Apple and uh, we're an Apple, two-time Apple Distinguished School now. I think maybe three-time actually, I need to, we are three-time. Um, I need to check that. And you know, we always wanted all of our students to have access to the same tools and devices. So the digital divide is gone. Everyone receives an iPad Pro. It's baked into their, uh, their uh, tuition. Our faculty and staff have created their own readers for the dialogues, which you give to students for free. So it's custom to this, this program to students at Lynn. And what we've seen come out of it through all the data is incredible engagement. And uh, you know, a lot of schools will say, well, we've got a, a great core curriculum and you pick two from here and two from here and two from here. That, that is good, but there's too much variability sometimes and you need to have these building blocks uh, so that students can move from one topic to the next and show their efficacy. Yeah, there's, uh, you know, there's just, uh, I think one of the things that I've, I've been most impressed with Lynn about is that, you know, you guys, as you kind of articulated, you have a both and philosophy, not an either or philosophy when it comes to this broad liberal education with very specific uh, and professionally aligned skills uh, that, that students are also leaving with, right? And, and it's, it shows in the blend of, you know, kind of the classic dialogues type of a curriculum with, you know, high tech and cutting edge technology, but it's also the idea of that broad liberal education with specific uh, and very practical skills and, and, and professionally aligned skills that students are leaving with. One of the other things that, um, that I wanted to make sure we talked about today is just leadership, right? Higher education leadership. And, uh, you know, you're someone who's been a college president for a number of years in a day and age when the average tenure of a college president is now under five years. You obviously had the chance to, you know, to, to watch and learn from uh, your father who was a president for several decades. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm curious about uh, this topic of leadership in general, but very specifically in higher ed, super, super dangerous time for leaders, right? Who are, you know, probably not paying close enough attention to their own health and well-being pulled in every direction. Um, and so, you know, tell me a little bit about how you're, you know, how you're managing through this, you know, how, what, what, 
what what keeps you going? You know, how are you sustaining your energy? And I uh, would just love to hear some of your own personal insights on that. Well, as you can see from the photo that you've used, um, I used to look a lot younger. Uh, <laughs> you're stressing me out there, Brendan, when you start talking about all the pressure and everything coming our way. Uh, it's, um, you know, it's, I, I, I use my father as a model in a lot of ways. And, you know, he was a president for 35 years. He was a pre he founded a college before that. So, you know, I, I, I don't feel um, uh, particularly like a shining star or anything when I look at him because I'm like, this guy's amazing. He's done, he's started schools. He's done all those kinds of things. But on a particularly challenging day, a number of years ago, I said to him, how did you do this for so long? And his answer was pretty interesting. He said, you know, being at Marymount when I first arrived and then we evolved into the College of Boca Raton and we evolved into Lynn University, he said it was almost like being the president of three different colleges. And in, in some ways, as this accelerated evolution happens here, you know, it's, you're never bored. Uh, there's always something going on. Um, and it's, it's, it's a remarkable opportunity. You do get tired, uh, for sure. And that rhythm, um, uh, I, I, I go away with my family uh, up north in upstate New York, and it's, I can always tell right when, uh, in the, at the end of that two-week period, I'm like, all right, I'm ready to do this again. And you need to have those moments of rejuvenation. Uh, one of the strangest things going on right now, which I'm sure a lot of folks are feeling, is that all of our events are not happening, or they're happening virtually, which is, in some cases, a lot more work. Um, and, you know, our sporting events aren't happening and things like that. So you feel that void and you're stuck in your head with your own thoughts a little more about enrollment and about, you know, finances and about are we going to get this done in time and those types of things. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, doing a lot more dog walks like everyone is uh, and just getting out there and spending time with, you know, uh, family and friends to the degree that I can. Um, and, and that was, you know, you're pulled in a lot of directions. So now I, I can plan that a little bit more, um, using that up as much as I can. And I wonder if we all come racing back, like what, what's not going to come back? What's going to be the hybrid? Um, and if you told me, as everyone says, six months ago, that every student in America would have online classes, that every faculty member would be teaching online and that we'd be working remotely, I'd call you crazy. But if you think about the ramifications of that and the positive elements and what we can do, um, I, we get excited about that here because there's some things we always have wanted to do here at Lynn and this crisis has forced us into them. And some things I'm not sure we're ever going to go back. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, in some ways that, I mean, the pandemic has been a huge challenge. It also creates opportunity, right? You know, like, uh, the, the expression, you know, no crisis should be wasted. You know, this is, this is a time when you might not have been able to get buy-in for certain steps and certain, you know, moves where now, you know, people are like, yeah, we, you know, th this is, this is our chance to do it. So what I heard though was uh, some time for reflection, but not too much time for reflection. <laughs> no, you don't want to go there. That's a rabbit hole. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There, there's too much to do, but the rhythm and the cadence are different. Just like I was mentioning yeah. in the classes before. Um, so it's a, uh, it's, it's a different time for sure. And uh, yeah, I'm using sort of the Stockdale principle. I'm, I'm, I'm not saying well, it's going to be better by the holidays. It'd be better by this. This is, it is what it is right now. And this is what we're dealing with. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's fascinating for sure. And, uh, not dull. Yeah. Well, one of the related questions, uh, one of the folks joining us, Paul Joy, uh, was asking about, you know, talking about discussing how being president since 2006 has, uh, has impacted your ability to manage and support campus innovation, right? Does the fact that you've had a longer tenure, uh, you know, really help drive that? And I, I might add one little uh, extension of Paul's good question. You know, t tenure is one thing, right? You've had more time to build constituents and support and for people to, you know, to trust you and know you. Uh, but, you know, to me, that also goes hand in hand with being able to build your own team and build rapport with your senior leadership team. Well, I've seen the dynamic that you and your senior team have together, uh, which seems to be a big factor. So 
what, you know, are, are those things all the advantages that we think they are? I'm just curious uh, what your reaction is to that question about uh, of, of tenure, uh, allowing you to be more innovative, perhaps. Yeah, I think you have to stick at something or, you know, keep at something for a while to make a, a significant difference with it. Uh, and we've tried a lot of things and um, a lot of things have, been, have not worked. And I think that's part of innovation. It's people coming together, you know, with new ideas that hopefully create value. Um, you know, some of the professional credentialing things we were doing years ago um, wasn't really getting traction just yet because, but we thought it was the next best thing that we had to get there. And um, there are bad ideas out there. Believe me, I have a ton of them. Um, but I'm, I'm more convinced these days that it's more timing than anything else. So sometimes you got to dust those off. And, you know, we're big believers in design thinking here at the university and a yes and, um, not to the, to the point where we annoy each other with that. And um, so we try to teach it to our students as well. It's like, look, uh, this idea that you have right now may not, may not work out, but hang on to it because refine it, turn it over. And, you know, being here for a while allows us to do that. Um, you know, there was a time when we took our entire freshman class on a semester at sea trip. Um, that seemed like a good idea at the time. And uh, we had a lot more students go study abroad. That was our aim. But, you know, first year students on a, on a cruise together gets pretty interesting. Uh, so, you know, these are the type of innovations, if you will, um, that, you know, we're willing to, um, to uh, you know, prototype, I would say, at Lynn. And, you know, we have, that's, that's a, we're a restless place. Uh, George Keller worked with us on our, our earliest strategic plan. And, you know, he said, um, that's one of the things he said about places like Elon and Lynn is that we're always sort of looking for that cool spot on the pillow. We're never kind of comfortable enough, uh, not comfortable with ourselves, but we just know that it's a dynamic world and we need to continue to be, to have this accelerated evolution and not just sit back and go, well, we got that. We got this all figured out. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think you said a couple important things in there, you know, timing does matter. Uh, you know, and that, that I think is true in a lot of things, especially in higher ed and, um, and then, you know, look, not, not being afraid to try some things and say that didn't work, right? And just kind of move on from it. So I think those are really great, great lessons in the middle of that. And, um, you know, and I'm curious, you, you also just had, uh, I know your own, your own experience dropping your daughter off at college, I guess about 10 days ago now, roughly, I'm sure you're counting the hours, but uh, what, 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 what did you take from that moment? I mean, you, you've been a president watching families drop, you know, children off on campus for a long time. So now you are the parent doing that. So just tell me a little bit about what you took away from that. It was eight days ago, and let me get my tissue. Over. <laughs> um, it was, uh, boy, uh, that was a long walk back to the car after you know dropping off a child. And I know everybody's done it at one point or another, and I may be late to the dance, but for my age group, I think we're a little early. And um, it's, it was tricky. It was harder than I thought. I knew it would be hard because we're close, um, but it was. Um, I also was so excited for and because I know what, what, what she's going to experience. This is the best time of your life with so many resources and so many people there focused on your success. Um, so uh, a bittersweet for sure. A weekend, she's settled in and, you know, finding everything she dropping and adding classes and paying too much money for books and all that good stuff. Um, so uh, she seems to be, even in this environment we're in, uh, they're doing a great job there. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's my rite of passage and I have another one two years behind her. Yeah, it's uh well, that's uh that's I'm sure I'm gonna be in big trouble too. It's, it's tricky. Uh, for sure. you know, my I daughter's course. eleven, my son's nine, but I just realized like they're both halfway to college if you average their age. You know, it's like this is crazy. I mean, <laughs> I told our uh, students during convocation this week that um, on a personal note, be, be nice to your parents. They're going through a lot as well right now. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, that's true. I think I think on the note of empathy for everybody, I, I'm I'm kind of more and more in that category. Watching uh, you know teachers try to manage you know in classroom and remote, and parents trying to do that, and students trying to go through that. I mean, I think it's true true at all ages right now. But uh, good good reminder to be a little more gentle with one another because we're all uh, facing some unique struggles these days. So teachers and faculty uh, members right now, and uh, frontline student workers. Um, I don't know that anyone knew it was going to be like this. Uh, they're heroes in my estimation uh, for what they're, they're, they're doing, the redoubling of the efforts and, and you know, changing curricula completely and delivery. It's, it's been remarkable to witness. Yeah. So what uh, I know we've got a couple minutes left in time. I'm curious uh, your thoughts on uh, looking on the, on the horizon, right? What, uh, what do you see as uh, some of the more exciting opportunities for higher ed? I mean, you might have some specific things about Lynn, uh, but in general, what what one or two things are you are you most excited about that higher ed has an opportunity to do as a result of kind of reflection through the middle of a of a public health crisis? So you know, for a long time, um, as we read the papers, we hear that higher ed is not worth it, and um, nobody's getting jobs, and um, data shows otherwise. So um, at this moment, when you look at places like the CDC and, 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 and medical fields and foundations and 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 all these other areas that are working on it, all those people came from higher education. And I'd be very concerned uh, if they had not received the great educations they had. Um, they're going to get us through this uh, worldwide. So it's not just an American phenomenon by any means. But, you know, we had to, we contracted here at Lynn uh, about 20% um, of our entire budget and workforce. And that was very painful. Uh, we had layoffs. We had uh, furloughs. Uh, and because we're such a tight-knit community, these are uh, very close friends, and I know every institution, many institutions have gone through this as well. And we know we knew we needed to do that, and other institutions do, because we want to weather whatever this storm is that's come our way. So, um, but here, we're not used to contracting. We're used to expanding and evolving and doing those kind of things with that uh, accelerated evolution. Um, but we probably know more now about the inner workings of our institution than we ever did. Some things perhaps we took for granted. And we said, well, that just happens that way. Well, now we've literally been under the hood, pulling it apart, looking at the parts and saying, you know, and with the new conditions we find ourselves in, whether you're dealing with space or classrooms or uh, the role of faculty members or, um, you know, how athletics run or operate and you know, how you handle your external events, I think there is a moment to really uh, leapfrog and to expand programming. We've shown that uh, hybrid learning is, can be really great. Uh, it doesn't have to be one or the other, but it's a lot more work, um, but it really can be an amazing experience. And this is something that we've been tinkering with here, at least conceptually, you know, for about a decade saying, if those two things come together and you can do it well uh, with professional credentialing, as we've talked about, uh, and do it in a personal way that is um, not en masse, um, right. that would be a really great experience for employers as well as students. And, um, you know, so we're very excited about that. The professional credentialing I mentioned is something we're looking into significantly as well. Um, so I think there's plenty uh, that we haven't even discovered yet that is going to come out of the pandemic that will uh, have a renewed relevancy for many institutions, not all, but for many. Yeah. I mean, on those points, like to me, the, you know, two of the biggest things that I see shifting uh, that aren't going to be temporary. I mean, they're, they're temporary in terms of what schools have done in the immediacy of this, uh, this challenge. But one is, you know, throwing out the agrarian calendar. Uh, you know, think about this innovative, you know, extension of your block schedule, right? And you start to think about things like, why shouldn't we just do school all year round? And you can space it up with the right breaks and downtime, right? But do you, do you have to think about the traditional schedule where the summer is usually off, right? And if you, if you have a year round academic program, guess what? You can get a bachelor's degree in three years pretty easily. 
And then when you think about the hybrid options, you know, you can start to think about other things like, oh, well, you're on campus one semester of the year, you're online and traveling another semester or you're right. So, you know, this idea of, of you know, high flex and hybrid being used just for pandemic, it starts to have real applications to allow students to, you know, accelerate higher ed to be able to experience different parts of the world while they're still enrolled in classes online. Um, so I, I really am excited to see where universities go with with those levers now. If we just take off the blinders of what the traditional academic calendar has been, there's suddenly some really exciting stuff to consider. Even the conversation I've had with students and faculty so far is that the, the block schedule is something, it's intense and you know after, they'll figure out after a week, but after you get the first one under your belt, um, you're ready to keep moving. And the flexibility is, as you point out, is incredible. So that's what keeps me excited about higher education, that's what keeps me excited about working at a place like Lynn because we'll do something about it. Um, as I pointed out, um, it may be a prototype and our, our prototypes are, our, our pilots are way too big all the time, uh, but that's fun too because we learn a lot in real time. Yeah, that's great. Well, I really appreciate the time. Uh, I wish you the, you know, the best of luck uh, this year. It sounds like you guys are off to a great start. And uh, for those who are tuning in uh, next week, we've got John Fry, president of Drexel University who will be joining us. Uh, so looking forward to that conversation and, uh, and any other questions or follow-up you have, feel free to put it in the chat and uh, we'll look forward to following up with you. Thank you all for spending time with us. Kevin, thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Thanks, Brandon. Appreciate it.